Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Today, we're talking about The Bad Seed from way back in 1956. Back when everything was black and white. Indeed. We have gone from the shortest movie of our month, from yesterday, to the longest movie of our month. The Bad Seed is two hours and nine minutes long. Yes. One of the longest movies we've ever done. Yes. Um, if you would like further discussion about the longest movies we've ever done, you should probably listen to the end of this podcast. <laughs> the Bad Seed is the story of an eight-year-old girl named Rhododendron, or Rhoda, who seems like the perfect child. Ugh. I mean, Not or is supposed me. to seem like the perfect child? Because yeah. I was with you yeah. from the minute, the very first minute, I was like, Mm, oh, mother, she... I love you so much. Right? Does she belong in the village of the damned? Like, yeah. what? Is this a sequel of some kind that came before? Four years early? <laughs> so she's she's supposed to be like the ideal eight-year-old child. And over the course of the movie, we discover that she is less than ideal, as is her mother. You think? Well, I mean... Her mother has issues. Yes. Well, as a result of this family drama, family secret that was kept from her mother that comes out in yeah. the movie. Yeah. To begin with, I was concerned that we were watching a movie that was two hours and nine minutes long. I very rarely does a very long movie actually need to be as long as it is. Yeah. So I was worried this that this not. was going to drag. That's So that's my question. Do you think that this needed to be two hours and nine minutes long? No way. I, I don't really think it dragged that much, actually. It was reasonably fast-paced, but just so much of it was discussing things to death. Mm. And I'm mm -hmm. like, we get it. All of this could have been compressed to like an hour. And, you know, have her do something scary, and then people have shocked reactions to it. They don't have to then go back and forth going... And I'm drunk. By the way, I am so drunk. And I'm fat. <laughs> yeah, Boy, am right. I fat. <laughs> I don't know why she was doing that. Oh, just yeah. in the middle of a completely unrelated discussion, she just pauses and goes, and I am large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there was a lot of unnecessary conversation, which is interesting given the fact that so many of the reviews we've done this month have been about how I've I've been upset that they haven't given me enough information. <laughs> yeah. um, this one was way too much, way more than I needed. Yeah. Also, I felt like the makers of this movie didn't trust that their character development was working. Like they would show, like you said, this is Daigle, whose son drowns during the school outing. She is obviously traumatized. Yeah. 
she handles it by getting drunk and coming over to this family's house and, you know, expressing that she knows there's more to the story and that she yeah. wants to know, but she also kind of doesn't want to know. Uh, you know, I thought she was a great character. I really liked what they did with her, but they did it to the extent where I was like, okay, can we be done with this? Like, move it on. Does. Have another thought. Do something new. It was almost like those Saturday Night Live sketches where Chris Farley does something stupid and you laugh and then he does it like six more times to the point where you're like, ugh, okay, yeah. enough. And then he just keeps doing it until you're laughing again, but because you just wish he would stop. I was picturing him falling on a coffee table and smashing it, and that made me think of the Mr. Show sketch, which is literally what you're describing, yes. where he's telling the story of climbing the mountain and he has to keep falling into all the and knocking the thimbles. Yeah, to thimbles. Yes, yes, and it wasn't bad. Like it wasn't bad. It was good. But they just did it to the point where you were done with it. Yeah. And they did that with a lot of things, particularly Christine Penmark, the mother of Rhododendron. I'm going to always use her formal <laughs> name because that's a ridiculous name for an eight-year-old girl. Okay. I also kind of like it, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. So Rhododendron's mother is traumatized as well. Like she is learning that this daughter that seems so perfect but she had a few suspicions about Yeah, has done terrible things and she's, you know, having to process that, but then also learning this horrible secret about herself and her past that throws her whole world into a tizzy. Like there were good things going on there, Yeah, but I've never seen something happen that made me understand the phrase chewing the scenery <laughs> in such a way as this movie where Christine Penmark is wailing and goes and like clings to a door jam and yeah. literally looks like she's chewing <laughs> on the door jam. Probably where it comes because from. Because she's like just wailing. Mm -hmm. Plus there's a shot. That shot is done in a mirror. Like the camera oh. is behind her. So we're like seeing her back. Plus we're also seeing her face all twisted up in the mirror. It was just overwrought. Yeah, she definitely got worked up about a lot of things. There was a lot of that going on. I mean, especially that was kind of the same as Mrs. Daigle being drunk, which was such a ridiculous performance of being drunk. It was... It really was. Really over the top. And I, I liked her, Mrs. Daigle. I, mm. She was interesting and very, like, uh, sarcastic. She was... I don't know. She was interesting. Mm-hmm. But also she was doing a bad job pretending to be drunk. Yeah. I mean, I think it was perhaps a, a sign of the times. Like, it wasn't really so. a thing that you were supposed to... Like, that's not a thing that you're supposed to have out in public. Like, it, that was still very taboo, perhaps. I don't know. I'm making assumptions here. So then in order to put it in the movie, they had to make it very melodramatic in order for it to be okay for it to be part of the story. Maybe. I don't know. It definitely, the whole thing felt like a melodrama. Well, yes, it felt like a stage play. A lot of it, it could have been a stage play easily. It almost entirely took place in their living room. Like, there's your set. Even to the extent where, like, people would come in and out of doors in yeah. ways that felt like theater and, you know, just some the ways they would address the camera sometimes. I mean, they weren't addressing the camera, but they would, like, 
they were talking to the audience. They were performing yeah. to the audience rather than a camera capturing something that was happening. I I made the same note. I'm like, movies from that time still feel like stage plays. And I think it was an element of the time. Like, yeah. that transition hadn't fully happened yet. It's interesting to me that this, what we're saying about this is the exact opposite of what we said about Village of the Damned. Because I remember saying, like, maybe at that time they just weren't allowed to have emotions. Yeah, this was very emotional. This was the exact one opposite. One was British and one's American. Americans are oh, emotional. Oh, maybe that's it. Huh. Yeah, this one was very, like, it felt like, you know, somebody was about to be tied to the train tracks. Yeah. I made a note that everybody was really on edge in the 50s because there were a lot of times where it just seemed like they were really tense, <laughs> like couldn't yes. handle little bits of new information. It was no. weird. And everybody was like all of the interactions were either intensely positive or intensely yeah. negative. Like uh, the the landlady... And her interactions with, like, her handyman, the guy who, you know, came around and emptied the trash. They lived in an apartment building, and there was a guy who could just come into your apartment <laughs> to empty your trash. I mean, they, it was, he kind of wasn't supposed to, but, eh. I mean, but he did, like, it wasn't that. No, it wasn't a big deal, but it was. It was part of his job. They mentioned that, you know, does he do this all the time? yeah. She's like, not when we're asleep. I'm like, oh, yeah? <laughs> that you know of. But the interactions between the landlady and the handyman were wild. Like, like yeah. she would she'd literally be standing there talking to Mrs. Penmark and Rhoda in this saccharine sweet voice. Yes. And then she would turn in the opposite direction and just lash out. At Leroy. Leroy. Or Leroy. <laughs> it was very inconsistently said throughout the movie. Yeah. And, and like, threatened to fire him. And basically, like, there was a point where she went on this rant where she was giving him a, a psych eval. Yeah. Well, on the sidewalk in front of the apartment. She gives everybody psych evals. Yeah, I guess I hadn't realized that at by that point in the movie. But... Yeah, she was, like, running through the DSM, whatever number it would have <laughs> yeah, been yeah. in the one or 1950s. And, you know, assigning him all of these, you know, paranoid schizophrenic <laughs> yeah. and all of these things. She was really into that. She had, I got wrote down her quote, I'm pretty sure she was talking to the daughter, Rhoda. She was like, I thought of you as sociopathic at one point. And, like, you know, she is, but it's... Weird. And she, she she really liked her big words. She called the daughter miserly at one point. She called her penurious at another point. Wow. She was... I don't even know what that one means. It basically means miserly. Oh. Why was she using the word miserly for an eight-year-old girl? It was something about how she, you know, was keeping all her treasures close. Right. And like how she was really greedy. Like she was yeah. all, oh, you're giving me a necklace? Oh, you're going to change the stone in it? Can I have both of the stones? Yeah. But I don't think that Monica, the landlady, I don't think that she was using miserly in a negative way. Yeah. She was like, you're such a... Thrifty. <laughs> thrifty. Yeah. yeah. 
And which makes sense because at that point, I think they were still, you know, there was still a lot of don't waste things. You know, there had been a couple of wars over the last half century. You know, it was considered a good thing to save things and not be wasteful. So, you know, that she took good care of her items and protected them was a good thing. Like her penmanship medal. She made sure to keep that safe. So the penmanship medal thread went all the way through the movie. Yes, to the last shot. To the last (laughs) shot in a way that I was not expecting. Oh, before you continue, I need to point out that this movie ends with a very clear instruction to the viewers not to divulge anything of what happens in the movie. Yes, it does. So we're not doing the right thing here. We are risking the wrath of whatever movie uh, organization made this. Yeah, people who are definitely dead now. Yes, whatever company. I mean, definitely dead? Mostly dead. Like in The Princess Bride? Yeah. Yes, we were very clearly told not to give away the ending of this movie. We're going to give away the ending of this movie. Yeah. Because it's been 64 years. If you haven't seen this movie yet, that's on you. I mean, to be fair, we just saw it. And I would not have held it against anyone had they (laughs) spoiled the ending. Just saying. Yeah, that's fair. After two hours and eight and a half, eight and three quarters minutes... Uh of the melodrama of this family and this little girl who desperately wants her penmanship medal. Real bad. It suddenly becomes like a parable. Is that right? Uh, It becomes a morality tale. Yeah, in a a stroke of lightning, it becomes a morality (laughs) tale. Which I suppose it always was, but all of a sudden, like, after two hours and, and nine minutes of trying to resolve this story, God gets tired of waiting. Yeah. And he just puts an end to <laughs> rhododendron. Yeah. Or Zeus does. One he, of the two. I mean, Zeus was God to somebody. Yeah. Lots of somebody's. Yeah. So that was that. That did you expect that? No, I didn't expect <laughs> that. She went out there to fish her penmanship medal out of the water. What did you think was going to happen as she went out well, onto that pier okay, for the last time? She grabbed a uh, like a pool scooper, uh-huh. and she was dipping into the lake trying to get the penmanship medal out that she knew her mom had thrown in there to cover up her crime. Right. The murder that she committed <laughs> in order to get this penmanship medal. And my thought was there is not a chance she's going to scoop up that medal. It's gone. It's not at 3 inches deep there. It's it's somewhere down there. But I thought given this movie, you know, she's going to scoop it out and grab it. Maybe that would be the end. She'd hold it up and go, "Yay, my medal." Right. She she would finally have resolve. But no, she started scooping and then struck by lightning. So when she woke up in the middle of that night, in that rainy night, yeah, she puts on all her rain gear and she sneaks out of the house while her dad is asleep. I thought she was going to the hospital to do something to her mother. Yeah, I thought that. Was there someone else that she... Oh, no, I thought she was going to go kill Monica because she had just been told... Right. She knew that Monica said, if I'm ever gone, you can have my lovebird. And then she talked to her dad, who was like, oh, she's not going to be gone for a long time. And she's like, oh. And (laughs) And, and then then asks, 
how long do lovebirds live? <laughs> He's like, yeah, not that long. She's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought she was going to do something. I like that whole part. But she wouldn't have had to leave the house because Monica lived True. in that same apartment building. Yeah. But so she's trekking along and I'm thinking she's going to the hospital. I was actually surprised that she went to the pier in the yeah. first place. I was like, wait, what is happening? Yeah, I didn't know. And so then I had that little thrill of she's still going <laughs> after the metal, which yeah. I thought was good. I, I liked that. She's real fixated. Yeah. Especially since she seemed to be willing to fixate on multiple different things. Like I was expecting her to, like you, have shifted her fixation over to yeah. this bird now. But no. That's the thing. It's, I just realized multiple times during this movie, I likened her to Mike Pence, which we can get into. But actually, <laughs> Let's get into that. she's like Donald Trump. She just, she's got to have what she wants. And if mm-hmm. she doesn't get it, she's got to have it. That, yeah. That's not an option. We are not going that way. We must have it. And she had zero empathy or remorse for any of the things that happened. Like, yes. so... So because that doesn't matter. Prior to this story happening, she pushes an old woman down several flights of stairs in order to get a snow globe that this woman had promised to give her. Yeah. And later, like just blatantly tells her mom, like yeah. it was icy and I slipped and her mom's like, "Do I need to know anything else?" And she's <laughs> like, "I slipped on purpose." Like <laughs> it happened. Yeah, like you do. She attacked this boy multiple times trying to steal his medal and when that didn't work. She beat him with her shoe. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. Which she had, like, prepared in advance, basically, because she wanted yeah. her shoes to... She was so frugal that she wanted metal put on her shoes so that they would last longer. She was shooed like a horse. Like, they put... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she used those shoes to beat this child until he fell into the water off of the pier and yeah. drowned. Well, he tried to climb back out, which was yes. a problem for her. Yes. That was a good moment when her mother was like, had had asked her all these questions. Yeah. Because it was one of those situations where if the mother asked the question, she got an honest answer. Yeah. Well, eventually. So the mother had found out that her daughter killed this kid. And it was almost, she almost didn't want to ask the last question, but she did. How did mm-hmm. he get the bruises on his hands? Oh, that was, that was a moment where you realize he could have saved himself. And then she lights Leroy on fire and locks him in the basement. Yeah, she sure did. Because he made a huge mistake (laughs) and pretended he knew what had happened to that boy (laughs) and accidentally got it right. Well, and that's going way back. That's another example of the extreme emotions in this movie. Leroy hated her. Oh, without passion. They were like just... It, it was like Moriarty and Holmes. They were going at each other. Only it's a grown man and an eight-year-old child, <laughs> yes. like, just bickering. I know. He's like, I'm on to you, little girl. And so weird. So he accidentally comes up with the right explanation for what happened. Yeah. And so now she has to kill him. Because otherwise, she's going to end up in the electric chair, which he told <laughs> her they have special small pink electric <laughs> chairs for little girls. Yep. Yeah, he kind of dug his own grave. Yeah, he did. And then she clearly was thinking about how, like, hmm, if I'm going to get this bird, I'm going to have to do away with this woman because I can't just wait for her to die. Like, so many times. Yeah, and that's, it doesn't matter how it affects other people. I found something I want, even if it's something that's not a big deal. It's a snow globe or a little metal. Right. 
it's more important that I have that than that anything bad happens to anyone else. Right. Other similarities? She lied at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Whether it was necessary or not. So intensely. The Mike Pence thing was based on the debate we watched the other night. She would be asked a question like, did you kill this little boy? They never asked that abruptly, but they asked her something like that. And she'd be like, mommy, I love you so much. You're you're so beautiful today. Like, wow, that's incredibly transparent of you. Yeah. Well, and that's the other connection I had in terms of like to Trump as well, is that she knew what people wanted her to say or what was the thing that, that would make them happy and that yeah. she would definitely always say those things when she realized she was in trouble, when, when yeah. things were not good. Even though she you know, didn't believe a word of what she was saying, she knew what to say to disarm people yeah, and what to do. But you know what I like is in modern movies, you've got these same kind of characters, you know, the little kid who's secretly a psycho. Mm-hmm. And those characters are really smart and work it all out. This girl was terrible at this. She was yeah. she was an eight year old, and she was like, "Wait a minute! They can track blood on your shoes." And it was fun yeah. how bad at it all she was. And like when she tried to sneak her shoes to the incinerator, and she was just like, <laughs> her mom just sees her immediately and yanks the shoes away from her. Yeah, she was not clever. She was just I mean, she was pretty clever, but she was eight years old. One of my favorite parts was, well, so there was the ridiculousness of them hearing about the drowning basically in real time on the yeah. radio, which... And the radio, and she's like going to leave the room to go check something out. And the radio's like, wait a minute, I've got more <laughs> info. Well, because she thinks that perhaps her daughter is the one who has drowned, yeah, right? There was a real scared. fear there. But then she just sits and waits for the radio to continue giving her information instead of going to find out if her daughter is alive. Because the radio is very fast. Right. They find out about this kid drowning. And then the bus comes and drops Rhoda off, returns her home. And she comes in and they're all traumatized by this thing that has happened. And they're all so concerned about how she's going to be traumatized. And she's like, in all the chaos, they never did serve lunch. Can I have a (laughs) peanut butter sandwich? Yeah. What? That's sort of an issue I had with this movie is she's eight years old. When this movie starts, it just starts in the middle of whenever and, you know, stuff starts happening. I mean, I don't think they could have shown her entire life up to that point, but there had to be questions all along. If this is how she acts, she was not a normal person. It's not like she became possessed when this movie started. Well, and, you know, that's what I found particularly interesting is that aside from her dad and Monica, everybody else had some inkling that something was off. Yeah, Mrs. Fern, the principal of the school. Yeah. She was on to her big time. Yeah. And her mom maybe had been fooled, but by the point that this movie started had already started to have concerns. Yeah. She which she expressed to Miss Fern. Concerned for sure. And definitely Leroy was like <laughs> this kid is the devil. Yeah. Although I suspect he might have thought that regardless. Like, I think he just didn't like kids. Well, yeah, but he was also sociopathic. And he was like, she's like me. We're trusting Aunt Monica's diagnoses now? No, I'm (laughs) trusting 
his own admissions because every thought he had came out of his mouth and he'd sit around going, oh, I'll show them good. I'll get those guys. I'll murder everybody. He never actually said that, but he almost said that. Yeah, they definitely were trying to show that there was something wrong with him. I don't know that they did a good job of that. He was pretty over the top. Yeah. A major part of this movie is her mom's discovery that she's actually the daughter of a serial killer. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that explains her daughter, like, you know, it's genetic, which big part of the movie was the argument of nature versus nurture. And a lot of doctors and scientists going, that's not a thing. Yeah. You have to be raised by poor people to be to be evil. That's it basically was, what they said. It, it was exactly <laughs> what they said. But yeah. the whole, the final reveal of her mom's parentage was actually her mom remembering a dream she had that was a memory from when she was two years old, Mm -hmm. right down to the exact words her mother was yelling. She knew what her name was at two years old, which was terrible. Ingold was her name for some reason. Yeah. Like her dad heard that and was like, oh, crap, she figured it out. Mm -hmm. But this recovered memory, that no, that was stupid. So at that point, when we were learning that Christine was in fact Ingold Decker, Mm -hmm. the daughter of serial killer Bessie Decker, who had run off into the woods out of fear from her mother and been found and then adopted by a a true crime writer... I was having some serious Dexter flashbacks there. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is the story of Dexter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So a big connection that I was making while watching this was, again, stamped from the beginning, which I'm still reading. I don't have a sound effect for that one. I know. you, You need to put a ding in there. They talked about this idea of whether criminal behavior is born into you and it's just who you are yeah or whether it is something that happens to you because of your environment and so i was making these connections to the segregationist thinking that black people are born wrong Mm -hmm. or inferior or different compared to the assimilationist thinking that Black people are broken by their environment and their experiences and become wrong or broken. Either way, definitely wrong. Well, I mean, that was the, that was, that's. Those were your choices. A big part of what Stamp from the Beginning is talking about (laughs) is that, like, even assimilationists who are like, oh, it's okay, we can fix them. It's still Mm. based on the idea that they are broken. Yeah. So I kept thinking about that when they were having this discussion about whether criminal behavior... And this movie, I don't think, was addressing that at all. No. There were no black people in this movie. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) But it was just, like, this was a big connection that I was making. And this idea... Like, it, it gave me a different way of looking at the question the movie was presenting than I would have had prior to my reading. Because... I would have been, like, all caught up in, ooh, which is it? And all I could think now was, well, those are both stupid ideas built on the idea that human beings are broken in some way. Like, a a human being is broken. So, I don't know. That was a whole, like, there was a whole (laughs) lot of extra thinking going on in my head that wouldn't have been going on before. How 
to rate this movie? This is hard because it's so old. <laughs> it is so old. And it's so outside my realm of understanding what the expectations were at that time, what was considered normal at that time. So it's, you know, I cannot watch this movie not through a filter of, this is so weird, what are they all doing? Because <laughs> it's been 64 years, things have changed so much. Yeah. I think I really enjoyed it, though. You said earlier it didn't drag, and I totally agree with that. Yeah. I was enthralled through the whole thing. And at one point I stopped to check how much time was left, but it wasn't because I was like, oh my gosh, how much time is left? It was they were starting to wrap something up, and I was wondering, is this the final wrap-up, or are we about to have an act pivot, yeah. right? And so when I checked and it, there was still half an hour left, I was like, oh, okay, this is not the end. Yeah. But it felt like it moved along and it was overly melodramatic, but I kind of enjoyed that, <laughs> kind of. It was significantly less problematic in certain ways than a lot of the more modern movies that we've watched. That's true. Not to say that it wasn't problematic because it definitely was problematic. I quote, you're so much prettier when smiling. <laughs> oh, also a friend of the family came over and was charmed by Rhoda and said, oh, she'll make a man so happy someday. Yep. I'm like, she's eight. There was another one. You're disgusting. There's another version of that same line elsewhere in the movie, too. Yeah. Like, the whole purpose of raising this daughter was so that some man would have a better life someday. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're for. <sighs> Significant problems. But much less problematic in certain areas yeah. than others. Perhaps, though... I'm accepting that just because it didn't come up. I suspect these characters would have had some problematic <laughs> takes should a black character yeah. or an Asian character yeah, if they had taken a, or an indigenous character had shown with up. A Chinese guide, that would have been a problem. Yeah. But I wasn't confronted with those problems <laughs> the way I was with certain movies. Sweep it under the rug. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, I gotta I gotta pick a rating. I'm going to give this movie three and a half sleeping pills out of five. Yeah. I'm really torn. I was thinking about giving it a four, but a four just feels a little too high. A three and a half feels a little too low, but I think I'm going to stick there. Okay. How about you? One thing I haven't mentioned yet about this movie is that it takes a real turn. The first hour and a half of this movie feels like a lifetime movie. Like, it's just family drama, and yeah, there's crime, but really it's, you know, it's just everybody's family drama business, and it doesn't seem that intense. And I kept thinking, you know, would I even put this in the thriller category, much less horror? Mm -hmm. Then, the last half hour, it just goes off the rails, and it's murder-suicide, it's yeah. the, the, the going through the rain whacking her stick on the fence that was a good scene that was and all that and it was just like pretty hardcore i mean it wasn't really remotely hardcore but it was i, I still don't know if i'd go horror that feels like a crime thriller of sorts but it yeah. definitely ramped up and i that's why i wish that they had really cut down on all the exposition and nonsense and just gotten to that stuff and had us you know have the action yeah I think the idea of a child serial killer was 
much more horrific at that time. Yeah, that was pretty risque. Yeah. But before you started blabbing your big mouth, I had the very same number as you in mind. A three and a half or a four? Or a three and three quarters? (laughs) Three and a half sleeping pills out of five. Same. Same, same. Same, same. All right. I didn't mention before that the eight-year-old girl is played by a 12-year-old. She was. She definitely was not eight. No. Which, sometimes you were able to forget, but every once in a while there'd be a thing where, like, her dad or her grandpa had to pick her up, and you're like, (laughs) yeah. She's, that is not an (laughs) eight-year-old. She's almost as tall as her dad. Yeah. And the other thing I didn't mention that, that I thought of while you were giving your rating was... You know, at the end, where it turned into that murder-suicide thing, and her mom is trying to kill her because it's the only thing she can think of that stops her and protects her at the same time. Yeah. I could not decide whether that made her an angel of mercy because she was trying to kill her in order to stop her from going to the electric chair, maybe, or being locked up, or, you know, whatever. Or if she was a family annihilator because she was... Annihilating her family. Yeah. not her husband. No, but she was doing it because of family. She was like, it was almost a family annihilator angel of mercy because she was like, we are a tainted bloodline. I have to put an end to it. Yeah. Yeah. And she was terrible at it. She failed miserably and they both survived. (laughs) That's true. They did. (laughs) So I don't know. That That was an interesting question that I was left with at the end. I'm like, I don't know what kind of horrible parent this is that was actually a twist where the movie could have ended right after that when they were in the hospital and they're like oh no you know she's been shot but they're working on her we'll see how she's doing and then monica comes in and is like well thank heavens that we heard that gunshot and got there we're able to save the girl before it was too late Rhoda's fine. That could have been the end of the movie. I mean, I'm glad it wasn't because there was stuff after that of interest, but it was, uh, that was a good twist. It also could have ended at the point where she had given her daughter the sleeping pills, read her to sleep, tucked her in, and then went into her own bedroom and there was a gunshot. Yeah. That could have been the end of the movie. Yeah, it definitely could. In fact, one of my notes was, uh, the movie keeps not ending. <laughs> right? But that was after that because there were several more endings. And yeah. then there was a really final ending. <laughs> yes, yes. I, maybe that's what was happening there is <laughs> somebody in the writer's room was like, I'm done with this. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> Bam, God destroys her. The end. Oh, that's a note from the studio is what that was. <laughs> yes. We need a definite ending. All right. So this is the definite ending of this review. Sure is. And my question for you then is, what comes next? What comes next is a Spanish film. I don't know what language it's in, but I'm going to guess Spanish. Could also be English, though. (laughs) Especially because it stars Antonio Banderas. Ooh. It's called The Skin I Live In, which sounds good, right? That sounds like there's potential for creep there. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with that one.
I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. But maybe. It's quite possible. But I'm uncertain. I've got the information that I could look it up, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to go with maybe. Okay. Instead of just verifying it, which I could do easily. I mean, there's a spreadsheet full of numbers that I could just read through. But I'd have to look at all the numbers and I wouldn't know. Are you ever going to stop? No, because you're still laughing. <laughs> See, you're still laughing even now. I'm crying. <laughs> That's so uh, sad. Now you're making me want to look at the chart. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening. <laughs>